Shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thanks, Carl. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this word to us through the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And Lord, we ask that as we think about it, as we think about what it means to be justified, that you would help us to grasp the gospel, whether for the first time, Lord, or for the thousandth time, uh, that we might believe in Jesus Christ, that we might trust in him, uh, and that we might know where we stand with you. Father, we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I don't know how many people were watching the news uh, this week. Uh, because the world was waiting to hear the verdict for Oscar Pistorius. Would he be found guilty or not guilty? Would he be found guilty of murder or guilty of culpable homicide? The world waited in suspense and early on in the week you couldn't go anywhere without them reminding you that the verdict was coming up. The trial started in March, I think it was, and the verdict took a day and a half to deliver. Imagine what it must be like to be charged with a crime like that. Imagine if you were innocent uh, and you sat there every day for six months listening to the trial and hoping that justice would be done hoping that the jury or the judge or whoever it was who had to make the decision, hoping that they would find you innocent. 
But knowing it, that if they didn't, you could face life in prison or uh, in some countries execution if the, if the charge was murder. But imagine if you were guilty and you were sitting there for those six months waiting for the verdict to come down, vainly hoping that by some miracle you'd be able to get off. Well, the Bible says that life is a little bit like waiting to hear a verdict. The day Jesus returns, the Bible says, will be a day of judgment. It will be the day on which God announces his verdict on each of us. The books will be opened. And God will either say, she belongs to me, or he doesn't belong to me. We're all waiting for God's verdict. Revelation describes the day when the books will be opened like this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Or just a chapter earlier in Romans chapter 2, Paul says... But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Justification is the language of justice. It's the language of judgment, the language of the law court. And justification is fundamentally fundamentally about what God's judgment will be on the last day concerning our righteousness or our lack of righteousness. At one level... I think we're all kind of familiar with the word justify. It's not really a religious word. I think that's where it started, but it's not used by most people in a religious sense. We say to people all the time, you're just trying to justify yourself. Or how do you think you can justify what you've done? We know know what it means. We know what the word justify means. It means... To defend something, to justify something means to defend it, to show it to be right. We try and justify ourselves to each other and and even to ourselves, I think. The question the Bible wants us to ask, though, is how can we justify ourselves to God? When you stand before God on the last day and the books are opened, how will you go with justifying yourself? What will you say? You might try and bargain with God, maybe, based on the good things that you've done. But can years of good undo evil? Could a guard from Auschwitz, say, could 40 years of community service overcome the evil of sending people to the death chambers? Not according to the Nazi hunters, it can't. 
Can 40 years of faithful marriage make up for a one-night stand? You see, we're fools if we think that good can undo evil, let alone justify it. It might kind of blur it into the past, but our good can never kind of excuse, defend the wrong that we've done. And while none of us might have been guards at a death camp, we all know that there are things that we've done that we can't justify, things that we can't defend, things that we can't explain. Too many hateful thoughts, too many bitter rivalries, too many nasty jealousies, too many unkind words. The Bible wants us to ask the question, how will you go with justifying yourself to God? On the last day when God's making his judgment, how will you go with that? What will that look like? How will that turn out for you? Well, Paul says we don't actually need to wait to find out the answer to that. Paul answers the question, how will it go, in the book of Romans. In the passage we read just before, uh, in Romans chapter 3, Paul quotes from a whole list of passages in the Old Testament that reveal God's verdict on humanity already now. So here's God's verdict in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That might seem a bit harsh to you, that kind of verdict on your life. But Paul says, Paul has spent the last couple of chapters showing how that verdict of God is in fact just. In chapter 1, he targets, if you like, the people outside the church. So if you've got your Bibles open still, you might flick back to uh, chapter 1, verse 18. There Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities of eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, spirit, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Already God's verdict concerning humanity is being made clear because already his wrath is being revealed against sin and against the people who suppress the truth. The truth says Paul, the truth is that God's glory and power are plainly seen. They're evident. They're evident in the world. And yet, people deny it. And the great sin, the root of every sin, is that even though people do see the glory and the power and the honour of God, they refuse to glorify him and they refuse to give thanks to him. 
So God made us, he sustains us, he sustains our life, and we barely utter a word of thanks. In fact, not only do we not thank God, we say to God, get out of my life, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Who are you? All those bitter jealousies, all those bitter rivalries, the root of those is our thanklessness to God, where we fail to be thankful for the person that God has made us, and we wish that God had made us like that other person. We wish that we had the things that God hasn't given us, and we fail to be thankful for the things that God has given us. In chapter 1, Paul targets the people outside the church and shows us what God's verdict on them is already. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. But in chapter 2, Paul targets, if you like, the people inside the church, the Old Testament people of God. And he says to them, before you get carried away with condemning all those other people kind of outside, make sure that you take a long, hard look at yourselves. Because even though you teach all God's commandments to people, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't worship things other than God, even though you teach those things and you know them, you still do them. It's not hearing God's law and God's commandments which brings a positive verdict on the last day, but it's keeping the law, isn't it, that brings a positive verdict. Imagine for a moment that you're on trial. You're on trial for drink driving. And as you were driving drunk, you caused an accident and you killed a person in the other car. And the time comes for you to give your defence to the uh, judge and you stand up and you say, Your Worship, I should be set free. I know that I was over the legal limit when I was driving and I killed this person, but in my defence, I know the law. I know that drink driving is wrong. I've seen all the television campaigns warning against drink driving. In fact, I helped make some of them. And I've given my weekends to campaigning against people driving over the legal limit. At which point the judge turns to you and says... Well, if you knew the law, and if you knew the dangers, why did you still do it? You see, knowing the law doesn't make us less culpable, less guilty. It actually makes us more culpable and more guilty. No. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness. Godliness outside the church, godliness inside the church for all those people who rely on their own justification to stand before God on the last day. Inside or outside the church, it doesn't matter. As Paul says in chapter 2 verse 12, all who sin apart from the law 
will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. We don't need to wait for the day of judgment. We know already God's judgment on sinful people. On our own, we're sinners and we stand condemned under the wrath of God. So justification is the language of the law court. It's the language of the day of judgment. What will God's verdict be? And insofar as we think that we can justify ourselves to God, we stand condemned. That's the first two things. But Paul goes on in Romans 3.21 to outline God's plan for unrighteous people, for all those unrighteous people who will be condemned uh, without God's work. In 3.21, Paul says, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It helps to know uh, that in Greek the words righteous and justify are, are related words. They have the same root word. So justify really means something like righteousify. That would be kind of a more, that would be a really awful translation, but that's kind of the idea uh, it, it means to, to declare righteous. So they're, they're related words. Paul has finished saying that on our own, apart from Christ, we're not righteous before God. But now he says that in Jesus, God has fully revealed a righteousness that comes from him, from Jesus, from God, that is received by faith. It's a righteousness in Jesus and it's given freely to all who believe. We don't earn it. We don't pay God back for it. We don't have to beg and to scramble for it. God gives it freely. And all who receive it, Paul says, are justified. They're declared to be righteous. How are we justified? According to the next few verses, we're justified by Jesus' atoning death. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago about what atonement meant. Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin. We're justified by Jesus' death. We're also justified, according to chapter 4, 25, we're also justified by Jesus' resurrection. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In his death, he paid the penalty for our sin. He buried them in the depths of the sea. And in his resurrection, he was vindicated, declared by God to be perfect. And he will raise us up on the last day to be like him, raised with a glorious body and presented to God blameless and holy without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. So, Justification, in other words, is God's verdict at the last day, given in the present, based on what he has done and what he has promised to do in Jesus. It's it's God's verdict in the present that we are righteous in Christ. So if you believe and trust 
in Jesus, in what God has said and done in Jesus, then you can know already today what God's verdict will be. I've known people so terrified of meeting God that the sound of thunder in the middle of the night will send them into a cold sweat. They sit in a movie theatre and their first thought when the floor rumbles underneath them is that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. They're afraid that Jesus is coming back and they're terrified of what God will say. Maybe that's your fear as well. Your fear is that God's verdict will be guilty, unrighteous, unclean, unfit for the new creation. But Paul says we can know. We can know for sure already what God's verdict will be. Because if we trust Jesus and believe God's promises in Christ, then God has already given his verdict. Not guilty, just righteous. Justification means that we can live without fear. It means that we can live with joy because we know today what God will say on that great day at the end. Justification is the language of the law court. It's the language of judgment. It's God's word against those who seek to justify themselves, but in Christ it's God's verdict in the present of righteousness for those who trust in Jesus. But not only does justification teach us and tell us what God's verdict will be at the end, even more remarkably... God treats us now as though we are what we finally will be. So in chapter 4, Paul goes on to talk about Abraham, who is considered righteous by God. Think about Abraham. Abraham lived a couple of thousand years before Jesus ever walked the earth. Abraham lived before the cross and the resurrection. But, Paul says, Abraham believed God. And... Because Abraham believed God's promise about righteousness and life and new creation and the Messiah, because he believed those promises, even though they were wrapped up in shadow and hard to discern, but because Abraham believed those promises, God reckoned it to him as righteousness. That is, God considered Abraham to possess already the things which God had promised he will have for certain. God considered Abraham as righteous even though he wasn't. He tried to pass his wife off as his sister twice. There's a wonderful statement uh, in chapter 4 which gets right to the heart, I think, of what justification is all about. Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 5 that Abraham believed, this is what Abraham believed, he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. 
He believed God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That is, Abraham was as good as dead. And God said, alive. Abraham was unrighteous. And God said, no, righteous. And if you trust in Jesus and God's promises in him, then you were dead, but God said, no, you're alive. And you were unrighteous. And God says, righteous. He calls us what we are not. And in so doing, makes us in Jesus what we could never be. Justification is not merely about the fact that one day we will have peace with God. But we have peace with God now. Because God's words and actions in Jesus are so certain that nothing can prevent them from coming to pass. What does that mean in the cut and thrust of daily life? What it means is it's not possible to be more justified one day and less justified another. That is, if you have a really good day and you live really well for Jesus and you give your money to a, a, you know, a, a poor person that you come across and you honour God and you uh, have a really thankful day and you, you know, pray for 10 minutes before dinner, and you're kind to your wife and kids and you reject sin and flee from temptation and you help the next-door neighbour, well, that's great. I mean, it's a, that is a fantastic day. But God's verdict on the last day is still the same as it was the day before. You're not more justified on that day than on another day. God's verdict on the last day, is still based on his promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God's stance towards you is still the same. And if you have a bad day the next day and you yell at the kids before breakfast uh, and you run a red light on the way to work and you snap at one of your colleagues uh, and you rush through the devotions at dinner time and you barely pray through the whole day, you are not less justified on that day than on the good day. God's verdict is still secure in Jesus. God might discipline you. He might wake you up from your shabby life. But God's discipline doesn't jeopardise our justification. God's discipline reminds us, in fact, that he loves us. And he will not suffer us to stay ungodly. But he'll keep working in us to make us what we will be in Christ at the last day, raised in the image of God's own son. Good day or a bad day, God's verdict at the end of time is still assured 
and God's verdict of us in the present is still assured as well. Waiting to find out God's verdict on our life is no way to live. Whether we trust Jesus or not, we know, we can know now what God's verdict is. If we are outside Christ, God's verdict is guilty. Guilty is charged. But if we are in Christ, the miracle is that God says, not guilty. You are righteous, clean, and will live for me with me for all eternity. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that your gospel is good news. Good news to people like us who apart from Christ are guilty sinners. Lord, we cannot justify our thoughts or our actions either in the past or in the present. Lord, there are too many things too many ways that we've rejected you, too many ways that we've gone in our own direction, too many ways that we've hurt other people that you've made and that you love, too many ways that we've spat in your face, too many ways that we've dishonoured you and been unthankful and ungrateful for the wonderful gifts that you've given to us. No, Lord, we know when we see clearly that your verdict on us apart from Christ is just, that we are guilty and that we do deserve your wrath which is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness in our world. Lord, we are as much a part of that as anyone else. And yet, Lord, we rejoice that in Christ in some extraordinary miracle, you call us what we are not in Jesus. Dead, but you call us alive. Guilty, but you call us not guilty. Unrighteous, but you call us righteous. Unholy, but you call us holy. Set apart for your good pleasure. Lord, thank you that we can know already and we can live today in the joy of that verdict the last day because we know Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who don't know Christ, who have not put our trust in him, we ask that you would help them to flee to Jesus and to know today that they are right with you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.